0: Chapter Twenty Five of Emily of New Moon. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Brook Favorite. www.alongsidemom.com. Emily of New Moon by Lucy Maud Montgomery. Chapter Twenty Five. She couldn't have done it great aunt nancy and caroline priest were wont to colour their grey days with the remembered crimsons of old long-past delights and merry-makings but they went further than this and talked over any number of old family histories before emily with a total disregard of her youth loves births deaths scandals tragedies anything that came into their old heads nor did they spare details aunt nancy revelled in details she forgot nothing and sins and weaknesses that death had covered and time shown mercy to were ruthlessly dragged out and dissected by this ghoulish old lady emily was not quite certain whether she really liked it or not it was fascinating it fed some dramatic hunger in her but it made her feel unhappy somehow as if something very ugly were concealed in the darkness of the pit they opened before her innocent eyes as aunt laura had said her youth protected her to some extent but it could not save her from a dreadful understanding of the pitiful story of Ilse's mother on the afternoon when it seemed good to Aunt Nancy to resurrect that tale of anguish and shame. Emily was curled up on the sofa in the back parlour, reading The Scottish Chiefs, because it was a breathlessly hot July afternoon, too hot to haunt the bay shore. Emily was feeling very unhappy. The wind woman was ruffling over the big maple grove behind the grange, turning the leaves until every tree seemed to be covered with strange pale silvery blossoms. Fragrances drifted in from the garden. The world was lovely. She had had a letter from Aunt Laura saying that one of Saucy Sal's kittens had been saved for her. Emily had felt when Mike too died that she would never want another cat, but now she found she did. Everything suited her very well, she was so happy that she should have sacrificed her dearest possession to the jealous gods if she had known anything about the old pagan belief aunt nancy was tired of playing solitaire she pushed the cards away and took up her knitting emily she said has your aunt laura any notion of marrying dr burnley emily recalled thus abruptly from the field of bannockburn looked bored blair water gossip had often asked or hinted this question and now it met her in Priest Pond. No, I'm sure she hasn't, she said. Why, Aunt Nancy, Dr. Burnley, hates women. Aunt Nancy chuckled. Thought perhaps he'd got over that. It's eleven years now since his wife ran away. Few men hold to one idea for anything like eleven years. But Alan Burnley always was stubborn in anything, love or hate. He still loves his wife, and that is why he hates her memory and all other women." "'I've never heard the rights of that story,' said Caroline. "'Who was his wife?' "'Beatrice Mitchell, one of the Shrewsbury Mitchells. "'She was only eighteen when Alan married her. "'He was thirty-five. "'Emily, never you be fool enough to marry a man much older than yourself.' "'Emily said nothing. "'The Scottish Chiefs was forgotten. "'Her fingertips were growing cold, as they always did in excitement, "'her eyes turning black.' She felt that she was on the verge of solving the mystery that had so long worried and puzzled her. She was desperately afraid that Aunt Nancy would branch off to something else. "'I've heard she was a great beauty,' said Caroline. Aunt Nancy sniffed. (laughs) "'Depends on your taste and style. Oh, she was pretty. One of your golden-haired dolls. She had a little birthmark over her left eyebrow. Just a tiny red heart. I never could see anything but that mark when I looked at her.' but her flatterers told her it was a beauty spot—the ace of hearts, they called her. Alan was mad about her. She had been a flirt before her marriage, but I will say—for justice among women is a rare thing, Caroline. You, for instance, are an unjust old hag, that she didn't flirt after marrying—openly, at least. She was a sly puss, always laughing and singing and dancing—no wife for Alan Burnley, if you ask me—and he could have had Laura Murray but between a fool and a sensible woman did a man ever hesitate? The fool wins every time, Caroline. That's why you never got a husband. You were too sensible. I got mine by pretending to be a fool. Emily, you remember that. You have brains. Hide them. Your ankles will do more for you than your brains ever will. Never mind Emily's ankles," said Caroline, keen on a scandal-hunt. Go on about the Burnleys." Well, there was a cousin of hers, Leo Mitchell from Shrewsbury. You remember the Mitchells, don't you, Caroline? This Leo was a handsome fellow, a sea captain. He had been in love with Beatrice, so gossip ran. Some said Beatrice wanted him, but that her people made her marry Alan Burnley because he was the better match. Who knows? Gossip lies nine times and tells a half-truth a tenth. She pretended to be in love with Alan anyhow, and he believed it. When Leo came home from a voyage and found Beatrice married, he took it coolly enough. But he was always over at Blairwater. Beatrice had plenty of excuses. Leo was her cousin. They had been brought up together. They were like brother and sister. She was so lonesome in Blairwater after living in a town. He had no home except with a brother. Alan took it all down. He was so infatuated with her, she could have made him believe anything— she and Leo were always together there when Allan was away seeing his patients. Then came the night Leo's vessel, the Lady of Winds, was to sail from Blair Harbour for South America. He went, and my Lady Beatrice went with him. A queer little strangled sound came from Emily's corner. If Aunt Nancy or Caroline had looked at her, they would have seen that the child was white as the dead, with wide, horror-filled eyes. But they did not look. They knitted and gossiped on, enjoying themselves hugely. "'How did the doctor take it?' asked Caroline. "'Take it, take it. Nobody knows. Everybody knows what kind of a man he's been ever since, though. He came home that night at dusk. The baby was asleep in its crib, and the servant girl was watching it. She told Alan that Mrs. Burnley had gone to the harbour with her cousin for a good-bye walk, and would be back at ten. Alan waited for her easily enough. He never doubted her.' but she didn't come back. She had never intended to come back. In the morning the Lady of Winds was gone, had sailed out of the harbour at dark the night before. Beatrice had gone on board with him. That was all anybody knew. Alan Burnley said nothing, beyond forbidding her name ever to be mentioned in his hearing again. But the Lady of Winds was lost with all on board off Hatteras, and that was the end of that elopement, and the end of beatrice with her beauty and her laughter and her ace of hearts but not the end of the shame and wretchedness she brought to her home said caroline shrewishly i'd tar and feather such a woman nonsense if a man can't look after his wife if he blinds his own eyes mercy on us child what is the matter for emily was standing up holding out her hands as if pushing some loathly thing from her i don't believe it she cried in a high unnatural voice "'I don't believe Ilse's mother did that. She didn't. She couldn't have. Not Ilse's mother.' "'Catch her, Caroline!' cried Aunt Nancy. But Emily, though the back parlour had whirled about her for a second, had recovered herself. "'Don't touch me!' she cried passionately. "'Don't touch me! You—you—you liked hearing that story!' She rushed out of the room. Aunt Nancy looked ashamed for a moment. For the first time it occurred to her that her scandal-loving old tongue had done a black thing then she shrugged her shoulders she can't go through life in cotton wool might as well learn spades or spades now as ever i would have thought she'd have heard it all long ago if blair water gossip is what it used to be if she goes home and tells this i'll have the indignant virgins of new moon coming down on me in holy horror as a corrupter of youth "'Caroline, don't you ask me to tell you any more family horrors "'before my niece, you scandalous old woman. "'At your age, I'm surprised at you.' "'Aunt Nancy and Caroline returned to their knitting "'and their spicy reminiscences, "'and upstairs in the pink room, "'Emily lay face downwards on her bed and cried for hours. "'It was so horrible. Ilse's mother had run away and left her little baby. "'To Emily that was the awful thing, "'the strange, cruel, heartless thing that Ilse's mother had done.' She could not bring herself to believe it. There was some mistake somewhere, there was. Perhaps she was kidnapped, said Emily, trying desperately to explain it. She just went on board to look around, and he weighed anchor and carried her off. She couldn't have gone away of her own accord and left her dear little baby. The story haunted Emily in good earnest. She could think of nothing else for days. It took possession of her and worried and gnawed at her with an almost physical pain. She dreaded going back to New Moon and meeting Ilse, with this consciousness of a dark secret which she must hide from her. Ilse knew nothing. She had asked Ilse once where her mother was buried, and Ilse had said, Oh, I don't know. At Shrewsbury, I guess. That's where all the Mitchells are buried. Emily wrung her slim hands together. She was as sensitive to ugliness and pain as she was to beauty and pleasure, and this thing was both hideous and agonizing yet she could not keep from thinking about it, day and night. Life at Wither Grange suddenly went stale, Aunt Nancy and Caroline all at once gave up talking family history, even harmless history, before her. And as it was painful repression for them, they did not encourage her hanging around. Emily began to feel that they were glad when she was out of hearing, so she kept away and spent most of her days wandering on the bay shore. She could not compose any poetry, she could not write in her jimmy book, she could not even write to her father. Something seemed to hang between her and her old delights. There was a drop of poison in every cup. Even the flimsy shadows on the great bay, the charm of its fir-hung cliffs and its little purple islets that looked like outposts of fairyland, could not bring to her the old, fine, careless rapture. She was afraid she could never be happy again, So intense had been her reaction to her first revelation of the world's sin and sorrow, and under it all persisted the same incredulity. Ilse's mother couldn't have done it, and the same helpless longing to prove she couldn't have done it. But how could it be proved? It couldn't. She had solved one mystery, but she had stumbled into a darker one, the reason why Beatrice Burnley had never come back on that summer twilight of long ago for all the evidence of facts to the contrary notwithstanding emily persisted in her secret belief that whatever the reason was it was not that she had gone away in the lady of winds when that doomed ship sailed out into the starlit wonder of the gulf beyond blair harbour chapter twenty five